Hello, everyone. This is a Personal Synthesis podcast. With me is creator of Personal Synthesis, Dr. Nash Popovich. And today we are talking about creative thinking. I would like to start with saying that one of the most interesting things about human mind is that it can create content. Am I right? Absolutely. This is so fascinating. When we think about creativity, what comes to our minds, some artists or very creative people, but in fact, we are all creative and we create a content of our mind on a daily basis. We will be talking today about this kind of creativity. This process of creating images and thoughts can be spontaneous and deliberate. Can you please, Nesh, tell us something about that? Yeah, in most cases, we create either thoughts or images. These are the most common forms of the content of our minds. And these thoughts and images can be either spontaneous or can be deliberate. So we are going to talk today about four different types of creating the content. Creating thoughts and images spontaneously and creating thoughts and images deliberately. I would like to start with spontaneous thinking. Okay. When you say uh, spontaneous thinking, Nash, what do you have in mind? Well, do you remember, Bobby, in the last episode, we talked about fast and slow thinking and asked you to count. Do you remember that? Yes, yes, yes. I asked you to count because I wanted you to recognize that beside those deliberate thinking, which was in this case counting, you also had some spontaneous thoughts that come up in your mind. And we had a good laugh. You mentioned thinking about something else that you need to do in the (laughs) afternoon. Yes, I remember. Yes. Yes. Okay. So probably you have already noticed that while you are consciously focusing on something, Other unrelated thoughts are sometimes popping up in your mind spontaneously. In fact, this is going on all the time. We have that stream of thoughts all the time. And people who meditate, for example, they become aware of that. We ignore these thoughts most of the time. You're not even aware of them, but they are there. They're happening at the back of your mind. Most of them come and go quickly but some can become circular and intrusive. Sometimes they can even take over. Does that happen to you ever? Those thoughts that go on around and around, let's say you are upset about something and you feel that they are taking over your life, taking over your mind and you can't escape them. You just keep thinking about something that you don't actually want to think about. Yes. Yes, Can you give me an example? Uh, Yes. I already said in some of our previous sessions that when I have some kind of problem or something doesn't go my way, that thing comes up all the time until I fix that. Sometimes those thoughts completely take over my mind. mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's ruminating. And this is a problem that a lot of people experience occasionally in their lives. And really, the issue with that is that it is very often not helpful at all. We may feel that our mind is trying spontaneously to find solution to what we worry about or to an issue that we have or a problem that we have. But very often, those thoughts go round and round and you are not getting anywhere with a rumination. Is that something that you're familiar yeah. with? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very rarely, if ever, I came up <laughs> with something, with solution. Something and I try to suppress those thoughts. You know, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to think about something else, but somehow they come behind my back. <laughs> they yes, come exactly. Back. And how do you feel about that? That can be very depowering, feeling that you're not in charge, you're not in control, uh, that something is yeah. taking over your mind. Yeah, and I'm becoming nervous. So trying to suppress them doesn't work. We mentioned a few reasons why we should be able to do something about that. And I'm going to offer an intervention that can help with that. But let's see first what you have tried in the past. You tried to suppress them and that didn't work. Did you try anything else? I recently start thinking I'm going to try to accept those thoughts. It's very important not to try to fight them because you make them stronger by fighting them. You invest more emotions. And this is like ghosts, you know, if you believe in them and if you invest emotions in them, emotions of fear, for example, they just become bigger. And if you ignore them, they disappear. So the first step in being more in charge of your thinking is to avoid enforcing them by emotions. Rumination feeds on emotional energy. So if you get upset or anxious about them, they will only get stronger. And you already know that. That's why you're trying to accept them rather than getting angry about these thoughts. However, this doesn't work always. Sometimes this is not enough. So I have a few other suggestions what you can do in these situations. It is really important to reach some sort of resolution, making some kind of decision. Let's say deciding, okay, I'm going to fight or I'm going to forgive or I'm going to accept or understand or any of these things. Just making some kind of resolution, it's really most helpful in these situations. Kind of knowing what to do because then your, your mind your unconscious mind will get a message. You don't need to search for a resolution anymore. We already have it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. The other things that we can do in such situations is, of course, to find something that could absorb us, something that really takes our mind away from these things. Once we made some kind of resolution, we then focus on something else. And you can also postpone your rumination. So say to yourself something like, okay, I will think about this between 7 and 7.30 this evening. Why this trick works better than saying to yourself, I don't want to think about that. Let me just try it now. Bobby, don't think about pink elephants. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now I'm going to start thinking about elephants, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, That's the point, because there is that paradox. We need to think about something in order not to think about, in order to say it to ourselves not to think about. So rather than doing that, you say to yourself, okay, I will be thinking about pink elephants, but later on, between 7 and 7.30, not now. This postponing can work really well. Try that a few times and then you can let us know how it works in the next episode.
And finally, I want to suggest to externalize your thoughts through talking on writing. This is especially important if you can't do anything practical about your situation. Let's say you break up with your partner or something like that, and nothing you can do about it anymore. One way that you can deal with that intrusive thoughts would be talking about that to somebody who will be listening rather than giving you advice, or alternatively, writing. Point of that is to let these thoughts out. Interestingly, there is evidence that writing is even more effective if you throw it away after. So you don't write an email or letter to that person. You write spontaneous, you just let your thoughts, your stream of the unconscious stream of thoughts uh, freely take over your writing with the idea that you will destroy it after that. Okay, so this is about to deal with rumination. Now we can move on to something else, which is spontaneous Uh, imaging, like fantasies. Yeah. Bobby, do you fantasize? Uh, yes. Can I ask very you what often. you fantasize about? <laughs> uh, very often. Uh, I fantasize about things I don't have, about desires I didn't ful- fulfill. We're always fantasizing about something we don't have. That's very much right. A simple example would be you are hungry, you haven't eaten whole day for some reason, and you will spontaneously start fantasizing about your favorite food. Yeah. Excuse me, I'm fantasizing about food even if I'm not hungry. (laughs) (laughs) I like to eat. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes those fantasies of daydreaming are pleasant and nice and help us escape from some boring tasks like doing dishes or something like that. But sometimes they're not very helpful. Sometimes they can be intrusive as intrusive thoughts. So what do you do with your fantasies that you don't particularly like? Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, sometimes those fantasies just fade out. With right. As far as fantasies go, even if they're not helpful, I like fantasizing sometimes. Right. I like that rich world that I have in, inside me. It helps me uh, when I'm uh, writing because this world is it's not so interesting often. So that inner world, those fantasies sometimes very much help me. It can be. It, it can be interesting, can be helpful. It's like dreams, but dreams while you're awake. That's why they're yes. called sometimes daydreaming. And they can produce nice feelings. But some fantasies are not helpful. And the more you fantasize, the desire behind your fantasy may get stronger. In some occasions, that's okay. But in certain cases, it can become an obsession or something like that. And you, again, like in the previous case with rumination, you may start feeling that you're losing control or those fantasies are taking over your life. So we need to have some ability to keep in check our fantasies. That doesn't mean getting rid of them. I take your point. You may enjoy your fantasies very much, but you want to know that they won't get out of control. Think about that as your pet. A pet is very nice thing to have and enjoyable, but 
you yeah. do want to train your pet to some degree so that your dog or cat or whatever your pet is doesn't get out of control. Fantasies can become a real problem and become unhelpful, particularly when we are in um, a difficult situation. That's because we don't feel very good. And he may try a shortcut, which is fantasizing that may feel temporarily feel better. This is like taking a drink or taking some drugs or something like that. It temporarily makes you feel better, but takes your mind away from constructively dealing with your situation. Precisely because you get temporarily satisfied. So you forget about addressing or attending to your situation. And if it is temporary, if it is just for a few moments to give you respite, that's fine. But if you get hooked to those good feelings and lack dealing with your situation, obviously that's not very constructive. So we need to be able to keep our fantasies in check. There are a few steps that you can do to take charge of your fantasizing. Be aware and accept that you have a fantasy. This is not to say that you should get attached to and turn your fantasy into your expectations or something like that, which would not be very helpful because this can distort your perception of reality. Allow your fantasies to fly high, but you better stay grounded. On the other hand, you need to be aware of them and accept that you have them because suppressing them wouldn't be helpful either. However, avoid feeding your fantasies further with emotional energy and look for their causes instead. Your fantasies can give you an insight into your underlying needs and desires that maybe are not acknowledged. You can address these needs in a better, more constructive way if you know exactly what they are about. Even if you can find a cause, you can plan what to do when your fantasy pops in uninvited. For example, you may have something else to think about whenever it comes up. So take a fantasy as a signal to think about something else when that fantasy appears. Or you can channel fantasy in art or in writing, in painting, drawing, playing music or whatever else. That yeah. can be another useful way to utilize that's extra energy that fantasies gives us. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, Nash, we talked in this first part of today's podcast about spontaneous creative thinking. But what about intentional creative thinking? What can we do about that? Well, actually, there are two types of intentional creativity, which is creative thinking and creative imaging. I think it would be a good idea to introduce these two types to our listeners and say a few words what we can do about that. This intentional creativity is what we usually think about when we talk about creativity. So let me ask you, Bobby, are you creative? Uh, well, I like, I like to think I am. <laughs> okay, but and how do you know? Other people said <laughs> 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 no, uh, all joke aside, uh, I want to say something about uh, this intentional creative thinking. Uh, Go on. For me, uh, that's the hardest way. I'm much more creative when it's spontaneous. Absolutely. You know, for example, I need something to write for my job. I can come with some ideas, but much better ideas coming to me spontaneously when I'm not thinking about that. Yes, and that's normal. Our frontal lobe that is responsible 
for intentional activities has many inhibitory functions. So it weeds out the thoughts or images and so on that are not very helpful. Imagine you are in a public transport and somebody steps on your foot and your thought is, oh, I would want to punch him in the face now. And then your frontal lobe tells you, no, no, that's a not good idea. Don't think in that way. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so, but that has negative consequences because it also stops creativity. So yeah. we need to bypass that part of the brain in order to be creative. This is why a lot of artists are known for using drugs and alcohol and so on. They use these things to bypass that inhibitory part of their minds. We need to find a better way to engage with a part of the brain that is associated with creative thinking, particularly in situations when we are facing a problem and we need to find an original solution. It is very hard because what we are doing in these situations, two opposite things. One is focusing very hard on that problem, but that focusing actually narrows our mind. And at the same time, we need to expand our minds to do something opposite, to zoom out in order to see things outside the box, as they say. Have you found yourself in such a situation? You need to find a new solution to a problem and you find it very difficult. Yeah, many times. One question that I was always curious about is, can we teach our brain to think creatively? That's a good question. And my answer to that is you don't need to do it. Our brains are meant to be creative. We actually create new thoughts. We generate new thoughts or images and so on every day. Just now, right now, you probably said a sentence that you never said before. That's creative. You created that sentence. So everybody, all of us, are creative because we generate the content of our minds. We just don't think about it as a creativity. So you don't need to make your mind to be creative. It is creative already. Sometimes it creates too much. We spoke earlier on about ruminating or about fantasizing and things like that. It sometimes can go out of control. What we do need to help channel that creativity in good and constructive way. And how you do it? By training. Like everything else, if you want to train your body, if you want to train your muscles, if you want to train yourself to do something like play tennis, you need to practice. The same thing is with creativity. The more you practice, the more that creativity comes out. Oh, yeah. So some people, it's not that they are not creative, but they actually are able to use creativity when it's very helpful, when it's useful, and not to be creative when it's not very helpful. In my experience, I don't like managers who are creative, particularly new managers. They usually come to the place and then change everything, (laughs) (laughs) trying to be creative. But usually those changes are for the worse rather than for the better. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So creativity is not always necessarily good. However, in some situations, it's really vital. You see that in many action movies or thrillers. In those movies, main characters are often put in an impossible situation. 
And the whole idea and what keeps your attention is that they try to find some kind of a way out of the situation that you haven't seen yourself or predicted and so on. So we yeah. hugely value that way of what is sometimes called thinking outside the box. Now, how we can maximize that? Well, there is one way of doing it. So if you have a problem that you need to resolve and you can't find solution to that problem, imagine that problem is in a box. The other thing I want to ask you to then imagine, if you put that problem in, in an imaginary box, what are those boundaries of that problem contains? What is actually left outside the box? Are these boundaries absolutely necessary or this is something that you impose on that problem? Yeah. Yeah. Are you making assumptions that certain things cannot be done without actually examining them? So examine that, that box, examine the edges of that box, what keeps that problem inside and then try to expand. This may help you to see some ways of dealing with a problem that you haven't seen before. Okay, <laughs> this is very new for me. Uh, right, so I'm going, right. I'm going to try, yeah. I'm, well, I'm try to... and see what will happen. It may need a little bit of time. So I would advise that you put aside something like 15, 20 minutes for that, particularly when you use it for first or second time. But the more you use it, the more it will become an automatic process. Yeah. I want to ask you, Nesh, what about visualization? Intentional oh, intentional imaging. imaging. This is for me probably the most important part of this topic because it reveals one of the most important tricks of the mind that we can use in many situations. We know that we can intentionally bring to our mind certain images, and that can give us a lot of power. Visualization can be used to attain a desired mental state to the process of association. Association simply means attaching an image to a mental state. This happens spontaneously all the time, but often in negative ways. We link, for example, spiders and fear, and we feel fear when we see a spider, even if spiders is not at all dangerous. Spiders should fear us much more than we should fear spiders. I wonder if you have any example where you associated something, an image, with a certain mental state, kind of spontaneously, not de deliberately necessarily. Uh, snakes and fear. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Because when you mention spiders, I already <laughs> changed the image to a snake. <laughs> right. And when did you have that first experience? Oh. Do you remember when you saw a snake first time? It was a movie, Anaconda, from the 90s. Mm. I went alone and I watched that movie. Right. And that is the core of my fear. How old were you? Wow, oh, I can't remember. I was 12, 13 maybe. Right. And you were on your own and people around you, were they screaming at certain points? Yes. So being quite young and being on your own, you had a certain level of anxiety already and being surrounded by people who are exhibiting fear, older people than you, you thought, well, that makes sense to associate snakes with fear. Everybody yeah. else is doing that, so I should do that too. So yeah. this is how we learn to associate things. But sometimes 
we associate things that are not even remotely dangerous or anything like that. For example, if you, let's say, fell off the bike and hurt yourself badly by a rosebush, you may associate rosebush with that pain. And in the future, whenever you see rosebush, you may have some sort of unpleasant feeling because you made that association between the rosebush and your fall of the bike, your injury. And it's completely accident. It could be anything else there that you saw first after you fell down. Anything can be associated with anything, and we can utilize this ability deliberately to bring those states of mind that we want. Why letting association work only with those negative things? Let's try to use it for some positive things. In this case, you designate an image that you would associate with, let's say, feeling confident or feeling calm, something like that. Now, if you make that link between that image, let's say an image of confidence would be imagining a, a lion. An image of calm would be imagining a calm sea or something yeah, like yeah. that. What is so powerful about that? If I ask you, Bobby, can you be now confident? You will say, mm, very difficult to bring that state of mind at will. Yeah. Or if I ask you, can you just be calm now? Very difficult. But if you make the link and association between an image and that desired state of mind, you can easily bring that image to your mind. And that image will bring with itself that state of mind too. So yeah. even if it is difficult to become confident or calm at will, it's easy to bring to your mind an image of a lion or a calm sea. And if there is link between that and the state of mind you want, it will come with it. So it's a very powerful thing and it can be utilized to our advantage. However, it is really important that that image is not used or not experienced in other situations. If you keep seeing images or imagining a lion in many other situations, the link will weaken. So when you make that associative link, it's really important that you use something that will not be in your mind in other situations. So something that is not very common. You know. Something specific. Yeah. Yes, yeah. something specific and unique for that particular intervention. And how you can make that link, you can see on our website. There are two suggestions how that link can be made and strengthened. That was very interesting. Thank you, Nesh. Uh, I think that our listeners will find this episode very helpful. Everything they want to read about creativity and our other subjects, they can read that are website personalsynthesis.com and i want to ask our listeners to write us if they have any questions thank you nash thank you have a nice day bye thank you